Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast. I am your host Kirk Bailey here with another great boss talk from the ever-growing and ever-green archive of talks delivered at Business of Software. This week we're in marketing territory with Dave Collins. The Business of Software Podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. The web is being filled with pointless content that hounds our senses, overwhelms and distracts us. This contentless content is amplified and regurgitated over social media, email marketing, streamed webinars and sometimes even in person. In this talk, Dave shares with us how to take a stand against the pointless posts. Happy listening. In 2016, apparently people don't like watching presentations that have loads of bullet points and loads of text. Whoops. Luckily, I knew that Mark warned me in advance. And apparently, another thing that's a good idea is to share a story. So I've got a story to tell you. It's the story of Bob. It might surprise you to know Bob is not his real name. Every other aspect of the story is 100% true. And I suspect we're all going to be able to relate to Bob a little bit. So meet Bob. Obviously, it's not Bob. This is our Bob. Uh, Bob was a very smart, still is, very smart, very ambitious software developer, which I suspect few of you can relate to that, right? Um, he was also an early adopter of pretty much everything. Uh, so Bob built his own affiliate system before most people had even heard of the idea of affiliate systems. And Bob was very heavily into search engine optimization, SEO. Um, Bob was doing very well and demand for Bob's product grew. Uh, sales grew by five times in just over 15 months, which is pretty healthy. Um, and quite quickly, I think within two, two and a half years, he grew a dev team and even a small sales team. So when you look down the view from above, everything's pretty good for Bob, right? He's sailing along, blue water, sunny, living up. And this is the life. Unfortunately, he had no idea what lay ahead. It's that sort of a story. He had no idea what lay ahead just underneath those very waters that looked so kind, nice, inviting, blue, and sunny. There were some serious problems waiting for him, and were going to cause him an, em an enormous amount of pain. But before I tell you what happened to Bob, I'm going to give you three very short history lessons. This one will fill you with delight, but I promise it's going to be the shortest shortest history of SEO you have ever hit. So four eras of SEO. Era one was exist. Have a website, hope that AltaVista and the likes pick it up, job done. Second era was tweak. So that's where we start to get a little bit more clever. We have a real site and we try to sort of trick things a little bit. The third, third era is when we really start to manipulate. This is when Google talked about PageRank. At its most simple, PageRank basically said uh, a link is considered a vote of authority. The more links you have, the more votes, the higher the chance of you showing up in results. Fourth era was hacking, and that's where we are today. It's very much about hacking. It's the shortest, quickest way to get from A to B as quickly as possible. What you might pick up along the way is neither here nor there. That's the history of SEO. I did promise you it was going to be short. Um, a short history of me. 
The first money I made online was I got a piece of software, I tweaked it a little, and I connected my 14400 modem. Um, and I basically trawled this piece of software, trawled the web, picking up email addresses and throwing them into a database. Um, and I then sent out a, you could call it unsolicited mail. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was before the whole S word really kicked in, but it was kind of spam-like. Uh, one other thing about me, um, you can probably tell from the accent I'm not local. Um, I'm British. I'm therefore genetically predisposed to being slightly sarcastic from time to time. Sarcasm often doesn't translate across Atlantic very well, so here and there when I am sarcastic, there's a little warning label on the slide, so you know he's not an idiot, he's a sarcastic idiot. So keep it all clear. The final history lesson, before we go back to Bob, is a very, very brief oversimplified history of spam. So back in the day, this is oversimplifying it, but at its most basic, you would send out 100 emails, 20 people would actually click on the link, good old days, 10 people would, um, no, got that wrong, 10 people would click on the buy button, see what happens, as you do, and one of them would actually purchase. So 100 people produce a sale. A few years later, we've all got better email software, email clients, spam, it's harder to get it through. So instead of sending 100, you have to send, let's say, 10,000. A few years later, the trend continues. Instead of sending 10,000 emails to get that one sale, you have to send a million. Five years after that, it's 100 million, and so on. So, can anyone hazard a guess how many spam are thought to be sent every day worldwide? Anyone want to throw it out? More. Millions. Pardon? Five millions. Five Trillions. Trillions. Close, not really. Uh, sarcasm. It's thought to be. It's thought to be 184 billion, 184 spam every day. It's an estimate because you know there isn't a file spam system at the end of the day. But that that works out about 2.1, 2.2 million spam every single second. So first question for you: Do you think I'm the first spammer to speak at BOS? It's hypothetical, don't answer. Rhetorical. The answer is no and we'll get on to that. So that, the whole spam thing was very, very brief. Very brief, he says. Um, I then moved into the far more noble art of SEO um, and started dealing with, if any other people remember the names, Alta Vista, Hotbot, InfoSeek, ring any bells? Fellow old people? No, you probably can't hear me if you're like my age. Um, Netscape Navigator 3 Gold, remember that browser? I still use it. I'm lying. Today, of course, all that's different. None of these mean anything anymore, to, apart from old people. Um, today, of course, we all worship at the altar of Google. Everything Google does is fantastic and wonderful, and I have complete and utter respect for them. Um, anyway, that's the history all finished. Back to Bob. So there's Bob. You can all relate to this picture, right? You all sit there with your hoodies, with your matrix figures flown in front of your developer brains, 1980s keyboard, tapping away at it. And things are going very well for Bob. Um, 2004 is where it started to get particularly interesting. That was the year the Battlestar Galactica remake, if you remember it. Yeah? Everyone's tired. Yes, thank you. Who was that? Thank you. Um, Bob had other things on his mind, because that was the year that Bob 
discovered AdWords. I think he went to a conference, got a voucher. Some conferences give you vouchers. Uh, got a voucher for AdWords, <laughs> just saying. Um, and he discovered it, so he threw some money at it, and lo and behold, it works. AdWords works. So he threw more money at, at it. Um, Bob was a shiny object syndrome person. It, it got boring very quickly. He said, well, I like what AdWords does, but it's a bit complicated, it's a bit boring. We'll find someone to do it for us. He discovered us, and we took care of his AdWords for many years. I then stumbled across something quite interesting, so I arranged a phone call with Bob, because Skype didn't, I didn't even know if it existed, but you didn't use it back then. So what I said to Bob, I said, I've been wandering around your website, and I'm a little bit shocked, because I think you're doing every single SEO trick I've ever seen, and I'm pretty sure a whole load of tricks that I have never even heard of before. Uh, Bob's response, couldn't see his face, but I could hear it uh, in the phone. Bob's response was, I know, isn't it great? It turns out Bob had a lot of content, an enormous amount of content on his website. Now, this was content that didn't make the world a better place. It didn't improve the user experience. It simply existed, we've all seen this sort of thing, to rank highly in Google, get more traffic. Um, Webmaster, uh, sorry, Black Hat, Black Hat World. It's one of the most open Black Hat forums. Don't even need to register. It's not interesting. The really interesting stuff is kind of hidden away. But Bob sort of sucked all this stuff up. And whereas most people went to Black Hat World, read some of these threads, and said, huh, that's interesting. Bob would go here and look at one of the threads, read it, and go, that's interesting. Let's try it on 20 sites today. And he very much did. He used every single trick in the book. Um, so during the phone call, I explained that you take, you take a lot of chances here, Bob. And Bob's line, Bob has some great lines. This is one of my favorites, where I said, well, listen, Dave, moderate strategies produce moderate gains. And I'm not a moderate sort of person, which is an understatement. Bob had a very aggressive strategy of dominating search, and it absolutely worked. So I had to do the responsible SEO thing and say, it's not good. Your day of uh, judgment is looming, Bob. Um, take my advice if you want, but blah, blah, blah. And Bob came, Bob, Bob told me something interesting, said something interesting in response. Um, Bob said to me, I take on board what you're saying, Dave. He's very receptive to new ideas, and caution was a very new idea to Bob. Um, he said, I, I take on board what you're saying. Here's the thing, Dave. I'm a smoker, and I'm not a smoker like most people. I don't just smoke and do stuff. Every time I put a cigarette in my mouth, every time I get that first rush of nicotine and carcinogenic tar, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, every single time, it's wonderful. Now, I'm not an idiot. I know the day of reckoning is going to come at some point, and I know there's a very good chance that at some point I'm probably going to regret smoking. But for now, I'm going to continue to do it, knowing the risks. And for now, I'm going to continue riding these great waves that Google are serving me up. Again, knowing the risks. And that's easy to look back now, knowing what we know now, it's easy to look back on that and basically say, that's really dumb, right? Because we all know Google have taken action against dodgy SEO. But back then, the only real risk that Bob was taking was being put on the Google blacklist. And it didn't exist, so it wasn't much of a risk. So Bob carried on doing his various dodgy SEO things. 2011. 2011, obviously the first thing that springs to mind to most people here is the royal wedding in Britain, right? Sarcasm. Uh, 2011 was an interesting year for Bob because what happened was Google took their very first stamp down 
on results that they felt shouldn't be in there. And that was in the form of Google Panda. So this, this was Google's first attempt. Uh, it was November 2011, and this was Bob's day of reckoning. So do you remember the picture of the mines under the water? It wasn't the mines, they were yet to come. But what happened was SEOs all over the world ran around like headless chickens, panicking. Um, to be completely honest, I loved it, because it may amaze you, but SEO isn't always interesting. Sometimes a little bit dull, and when something terrible happens, it's actually quite good, <laughs> relatively. So I, I, dug it, I dug into all the data for Bob, and I had a look, and I had another call, and I said to him, what we've seen is your traffic has dropped from Google, it's dropped by about 10 to 12%. Which isn't great, right, but it's not the end of the world. So Bob's reaction was basically, well, you got me. You're the SEO. You said this was going to happen, so fix it. Didn't really care, 10, 12%, just, it was worth taking the risk. The details about what happened in Panda, I'm sure you'd love to know, but they don't really matter, because all, it, all it's actually about is Google trying to make sure that these poor quality listings don't show up. Don't show up. It was that simple. So I fixed it, and I had another phone call with Bob the Smoker. We had fix two, three hundred pages in his website uh, straight off. Took a while, and I said they're fixed, but it, this is all new. I don't know how long it's going to take to recover. It's new territory. Um, and I said, but my issue is, my concern, Bob, is you've used every SEO trick I've seen, and then some. You've been penalized for one particular thing here, and I think they're going to carry on. This is the first shot in what's probably going to be a very long walk. Bob's response was, fair enough, but I'm still a smoker, and I'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Fair enough. So Bob went back to his shiny mug of coffee, matrix figures, hoodie, 1980s keyboard. And he had a nice spell, but not for very long. That was in November 2011. Uh, 2012, which was the year of Curiosity Rover landing, which I cannot believe was four years ago. But 2012, we had the next one, which was Panda. April, April 2012, so it was four or five months after Bob got hit by Panda. So remember Bob's response to Panda was, the, well, you got me, go fix it. Well, Penguin was bad. It really was quite terrible. Bob got incredible traffic from Google. He got about seven or 800 targeted visitors a day from Google, and believe it or not, most of them converted sales because of the nature of his product. Um, and that all dried up, more or less, overnight. So this figures fell to single figures on a particularly bad day, he'd get no traffic whatsoever from Google. So you might have heard the phrase, a Google slap, and you got caught. Well, what this meant, four, four and a half months after this happened, Bob had to let some of his staff go, because there was no income coming in. Organic traffic, Google drove most of his converting visitors, and they disappeared pretty much overnight. So he had to have those conversations, awkward conversations, of actually laying staff off. Now, this was about toxic backlinks. Um, again, this was new ground. Everyone's panicking. Everyone's unhappy. Now I'm the only person going, oh, fantastic. This is great SEO. Um, so this is, this is what a toxic backlink page, this is what a toxic page looks like. The headline makes sense. Apple sell 10 billion iPhones. And then you read the text, and it's things like, the main thing you have to remember on this journey is just be nice to everyone and always smile. There are uh, no idea how many millions of these sites, and they typically have tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pages of garbage content that serve two purposes. One, they get clicks on ads, which generates revenue, and they have links pointing sites. 
Um, none of this came from us, I should point out. Um, so Bob the Smoker, this time, was quite badly shaken up, because it's one thing to know that this day of reckoning is going to happen at some point, but it's quite another to actually deal with it. And it's quite another to sit there and have these conversations with friends that you've, colleagues that you've worked with for years, some of whom become friends and basically say, I'm really sorry, but there's no money we've, we've got to call today. And even a few years later, Bob was licking his paws. Today, Bob does no more dodgy links, nothing. Pretty sure he's doing a fair amount of other dodgy stuff, but we'll come into that. We'll come on to that. He's very much moved on to what you could call dodgy content instead. But Bob's problems weren't specifically about links. That was just a symptom of the problem. And in my opinion, the big problem was more about this, th this attitude to riding wave in general. It goes beyond links, it goes beyond SEO. On top of which, Bob's problems were compounded by a number of factors. Now, the first one, theory of evolution, we all, most of us know it. Slightly oversimplified, slightly, but apparently we went in five steps from fairly camp ape to uh, someone carrying a briefcase and wearing a tie. When it came to quality, um, online quality of content, we didn't continue to, to improve. We didn't continue in that direction. And what we did is we took a step back and we delivered more quantity but lower quality. And we continued that trend. Greater quantity, lower quantity, and so on, and so on. So about, about a year ago, I had a conversation with my dad. It's just after I turned 45. I know I look 25, but I'm actually 45. Um, I had this conversation. We were comparing the world that I live in today and the world that my dad lived in when he was my age. So my dad was an optician, self-employed optician, optometrist, I think you call them here. Um, and he worked, we all lived and grew up in Manchester, north of England. That's what Google gave me when I did an image search. That's what Google thinks Manchester looks like today. <laughs> Actually, most of you probably think that Manchester looks like it. It's not, it's not a million miles away, but anyway. What we, what we discovered in this conversation, my dad had uh, limited points of contact with external content. So on a working day, he'd read the newspaper while he had breakfast. That's his first point of contact with external content. He'd drive to work, listen to the news, second point of contact, listen to the radio coming back, third point of contact, and then he'd watch the news at 10 o'clock, the news at 10. Because uh, that was, these were the days before 24-hour news channels, or 24-hour news, I think, hadn't been invented even. So my dad had very limited connection to the world of external content, and we realized on a typical day, if you compare that with our days, we realized that by the time I've had breakfast, I've probably been exposed to more content than my dad would have seen in weeks, sometimes months. But it's a quality thing. It's not there. It's all about quantity. Second problem, we already know that shouting doesn't work, right? We know shouting's a bad idea, but why do we do it? Whether it's online or off, we somehow tap into this whole idea, this myth of shouting. It's what I call the myth of amplification. Now, this is how it works. I come across an article by Rand Fishkin, who spoke here last year, last year? From, uh, from Mars, I come across a great piece of content. That's not sarcastic, it is a great piece of content. Um, and it's basically long tail SEO, when and how to target low volume keywords. And I think that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that, so that's high quality. I know I've got six or 7,000 followers on Twitter, got a whole load of friends on Facebook, LinkedIn contacts. I know I'm going to share it with them. Because in my mind, what's going to happen 
is all around the world, people are going to sit up and go, there's a link from Dave Collins. Because that's how it works. And then they're going to watch this. They're going to watch the video, read the transcript, and they're going to go, wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. Dave Collins sent us this amazing, some guy talking about something, but it came from Dave Collins. The guy is a genius. That reminds me, I won't name where this, but it, where this appears, but it reminds me of a conversation like this. Imagine the following conversation between people in your audience. Hey, did you see that awesome host on the Buffer blog this morning? No, what's a Buffer blog? Oh, it's a blog created by a company that builds a really cool social sharing app. Here, I'll send you a link. Has anyone ever had a conversation like that? Ever. They don't exist, right? They remind me of Cathy Sierra's talk that you might have seen either here or online where she has these ludicrous photos and speech bubbles, conversations that will never, ever happen. So, to make a point, I sent an actual real tweet to Barack Obama. And I said to him, do you need any help with SEO, Mr. President? Because obviously what's going to happen, you're going to see that, if you're following me, or Barack Obama, don't really know how Twitter works, to be honest. Uh, you're going to see that and you're going to go, does Dave do SEO for President Obama? Wow. People in, in Europe and the UK, I won't get into that, People in the rest of the world might even think, does Dave do SEO for the whole of the US government? That's pretty cool. And then look at that, Barack Obama follows me. That's why he's distracted the G20 summit, because he's waiting for my tweets. <laughs> Obviously, me and 635,000 other people, but that's how the system works, right? You see that and you think, wow, that's pretty cool. And obviously we don't, but we all do this sort of thing, because that's how the system works, right? So I have two favorite geek photos. This is one of them, me and Steve Wozniak. Um, obviously, you're going to look at that and go, Dave works for Steve? Did, not only President Obama, but he does SEO for Steve. And then you go, well, hang on, does he even work? I thought he just speaks at events nowadays. Wait a minute, they're wearing the same uniform. Do they work together? Does Steve work for Dave? Because that's how the system works, right? Neil Patel. Anyone familiar with Neil Patel? He's a sort of well-known content marketer. Now, Neil got caught inbound, inbound.org, uh, essentially a forum for marketers or aspiring marketers. There's an aspiration, right? But inbound, someone on inbound saw this and took offense. So he basically pointed it out and said, this actually isn't a blog post, it's an ad for a webinar. When you click on it, you take him to a landing page for the webinar, and then you get hit by a webinar sign-up overlay. And this guy got really annoyed by it. Talk about a first world problem, right? But anyway, he got very annoyed and he posted and a whole lot of people discussed it. Generally, the trend was very negative. People said things like, a big turn off for sure. This is a dark pattern. I love the last one. That's not just misleading, it's verging on that right scam. My respect for Patel, except as a cynical low-grade con artist, is basically gone. She still respects him as a low-grade. Cynical Connaught. Inevitably, Mr. Angry came along. I just want to punch him in the face. P.S. I loved what he did in the past. Now it's just annoying. Okay. One or two people actually defended it. And without getting into the specifics of what they said, they were really saying, well, you know what? You might not like this sort of thing, but it works. You might think it's deceptive, but it works. Gerald Kraft said, uh, it definitely works, just not for me, mainly because I failed to keep tricking me. It's my own fault. I should know better. 
don't even need sarcasm there, really, do you? But the point is, bearing in mind this is marketers talk about marketing. To me, this, the overall tone of the whole discussion was very negative. It seems that the tide's turning and people don't like being deceived. How about that for a weird concept? Sarcasm. Third problem, Bob's problem, was the I know syndrome. And as business owners, we're far worse. We're far worse than just tapping into the I know thing. Because we have epiphany marketing and shiny object, object syndrome combined together. But it's something that we mainly do online. We don't do it in the real world. Because we talk about the online world as like something different. So this sort of behavior, you're not, I would think most people aren't going to do what they're doing on outside the couch. I should clarify that. You'll do that sort of thing, but not in those circumstances with that guy sitting there in the real world, because that's weird and awkward. I, I have no idea why he's there, but he's there. Because in the real world, there's rules, right? In the real world, we judge by appearance. And the first impressions play a very big part. We judge by what people do, by our perceived reputation, by the image that we give off, by the professionalism, the air of professionalism or lack of that we give off. By just that tone, the message that we're communicating is huge. And just by how we hold ourselves in general. But we also judge by what people say. You judge me, unfortunately, by what I say and how I say it. So one of the great things, genuinely, about this conference, one of the best things about it, in my opinion, is the quality of the attendees. Now, we've already we've had the first night, the welcome reception. I've already had countless conversations with people, some of which, some of whom I've never met before. And it's really good. But imagine if you come and talk to me after this to disagree with pretty much everything I've said. You come up to me and say, you, you know the, the lanyard game where you look at it and you go, oh, Dave, Google Whisperer, that's nice. What do you do? If I then whip open my laptop and give you a five, six minute PowerPoint presentation about the benefits of working with our company, and if you sign up in the next 24 hours, Dan, I will give you a 1.5% discount for life. You're not going to go, wow, that was good. That was a rich experience. You're going to avoid me, right? And I have an advantage over most people in this room because I'm British. <laughs> and as a Brit, everything I do is automatically assumed to be trustworthy, honest, scrupulous, reliable, and so on. Note, no sarcasm sticker there. It gets a bit confusing, doesn't it? So here's the thing, we talk about the real world, we talk about the online world. You see maps like this, maps of online activity at any given point in the day. Guess where the online activity takes place? It's where there are people. Because the real world, it's not a separate parallel dimension, it's not a different universe. The real world is here. The online world is also here. It is actually one and the same which is why I really don't understand when I get an email like this, and this is genuine. An email, I blurred it because we don't swear at this conference, an email where someone says, so I emailed you almost four hours ago and told you this was urgent. It's obvious you just don't give a darn about our links problem, so I'll tell you what, why don't you go slap yourself around the face and reconsider? That, what, what a miss, I'm gutted that I didn't get to work with this person, obviously, but guess what? We've all had emails like this, right? At some point, <laughs> maybe it's just me, I'm going completely. <laughs> being horrible online is actually being horrible. If you go into Twitter and you're, you're angry, mean, racist, sexist, it actually means you are an angry, mean, 
racist, sexist person, the same rules apply. Interrupting online is interrupting. Because we already know that shouting doesn't work, right? We're already familiar with that. So when Mark first asked me to speak at this conference, when Mark finally gave in to my years of persistence, <laughs> blackmail, extortion, when he asked me, I was genuinely, genuinely honored and privileged, and I genuinely feel that way to be standing here today. So what I could have done was prepared a talk on something like five reasons why SEO is important to small businesses. Mark would have been delighted, sarcasm. Uh, Mark would have been delighted and you would just be thrilled, right? I could have gone for life hacker style content. I could have prepared a presentation on the scientific argument for mastering one thing at a time, or three tips to help you cut down on magazine clutter. Because th these things fill time, and actually the really depressing thing is you kind of do. I had to read those articles. They weren't very good. Headline was good, strange. But what a waste of opportunity, because why are we all here? We're here to share ideas, experiences, thoughts, right? That's why we're here. But we have the same opportunity for every single piece of content that you ever write, ever, every single one of them, every single piece of content, whatever form, whether it's video, podcast, blog post, email, doesn't matter. It's an opportunity to share these ideas, these thoughts, these experiences. Joanna Weeb from Copy Hackers, who also spoke last year uh, here, uh, we worked with Joanna. Uh, she asked me if I'd write a blog post for their website uh, on SEO, specifically geared towards copywriters. So it did, it took me, it took me many hours, let's say, because um, it was a great opportunity. And she benefited and we benefited from it. So I could have gone for the easy approach. Could have just gone for, I don't know, 90 of the most upsetting food photos you'll ever see. She might have had editorial issues, but I don't know. Because cool headlines work, right? Now, I've bounced this idea off a few people, and it's around now, it's about now, that I, I suspect there's at least a few people in the room who are basically thinking, listen, Dave, what you're saying, we kind of get it, kind of get what you're saying. But every single time we write one of these blog posts that you think is so inferior, so uninspired, so boring, every single time we write one of these, we get sign-ups, we get leads, we get income. Every single time we send one of these emails that you roll your eyes and do that sarcastic, snooty Brit thing and go, really, is that the best I can do? Every single time we send one of these, we get income. These things work. You might not like it, but it works. And if you feel that way, I think you're wrong. And here's why. The first, inadvertently clicked too early. The first reason is, do you remember that model of spam to get the sale? You send 100, and then you send 10,000, and then you send a million. It's that same pattern, because the same model applies. And it's also about pollution. It doesn't matter how hot you are. If you're out for a walk, doesn't matter how hot you are, and you come across this water, you're not going to get into it. You're not going to strip off and go for a quick swim in it, right? Even if there's a sign saying, don't worry, there's nothing toxic here, it's just garbage, because who likes swimming in garbage? Which kind of makes me think of the online experience a little bit. It's also, it's an attack on clarity, because when you lose clarity, you can't see the stunning beauty that lies right in front of you. <laughs> Again, no sarcasm. Battlestar Galactica, this, if you saw it, I suspect a fair number did, they had this theme of all of this has happened before and all this will happen again, which was 
fantastic, and it absolutely applies to what we're doing online. SEO, we're in this infinite loop. It's an infinite loop of find a flaw, test it. If it works, roll it out on all the sites, Google stamp on it, doesn't work anymore, find the next flaw. And it's that, it's that infinite loop. We don't get anywhere, that's not progress. We're all familiar with the Google do no evil thing, right? I've always thought, as an aside, I've always thought, imagine a conversation with your child. What do you want to do when, you, when you're older? I want to do no evil. Really? Is that, is that an aspiration? It's not, it's not make the world a better place, eradicate poverty, eradicate disease. It's just I won't do evil. I'll do bad, very bad, but not evil. Maybe we're missing the point. Maybe it's actually, potentially, maybe it's a warning to us. Maybe what Google are saying is do no evil. Do not write content purely with a view to getting better rankings. Sorry, not, not you in particular, the wider you. Do no evil, do not create links with a view to gaming the system. Create content that's so good that people will actually link to it because it's an arms race. Do you remember the first time you went to a website and while you're there, a little slider appears at the bottom, pops up on the bottom of the blog post, something like, uh, to receive this in your email every week, give us your email address here, and you see that, you think, wow, that's great. You put it on your website, and what you see when you first put that sort of thing on your site is your sign up, whether you're using Infusionsoft, MailChimp, Drip, whatever, sign ups explode, right? Because this is new and it really works. But then everyone starts doing it. Everyone starts having these little sliders. So then, when that levels out, you think, I know, I'm going to put a pop-up. Instead of a slider, I'm going to put a pop-up in the middle of the screen. Because pop-ups are a new idea, right? I'm going to put a pop-up, ask for the email address. And for a while, that works. But then we start seeing them everywhere. So sign-ups level off again. So then you think, I know, I'm going to make this pop-up huge, and it's going to cover up most of the screen, and I'm going to put two buttons. There'll be a green button saying, yes, I want this, or red button says, no, I'm an idiot. And for a while, that works, until it doesn't. So then what, what the next best thing, I don't know what it is, but there will be something, and a lot of us are going to start doing it. And this is the ultimate arms race, spam. When you use spam to send out your marketing, you're basically bombarding someone's inbox. If you use inbound marketing, instead of bombarding the inbox, you're bombarding the whole world. So wherever you go, people are going to walk into, trip over, slide, have your content fly in the face. There's no escape. And that also works, kind of. But either way, you're drowning people in content that they really don't want. So. Get positive. I'm going to give you three alternatives to content creation for the ideas. Coming up with the ideas for the content you're going to create. The first one, by far the easiest. And it's got a formula, because formulas always, scientifically proven, formulas demonstrate how clever speaker is. So I've got a formula. Here's the easiest option I know of to generate content. Mental masturbation plus verbal diarrhea equals easy content. It works, right? I don't expect a show of hands, but can anyone relate to the strategy? It kind of works, but quality, it just doesn't exist. So I'm going to give you two, two other alternatives. Option two is what I call the Seth Godin model. 2010, Seth Godin spoke right here at this conference and stood right in front of these doors. And this is my second favorite geek poker, where I basically 
to all intents and purposes, photobombed Seth Godin and Joel Spolsky having a conversation. Joel looks like he wants to hurt me a little bit. Seth is obviously dazzled, probably British accent or something. He's charmed by me, not at all irritated. Should be sarcasm there. But Seth's content model is, is absolutely amazing. What he basically does is he writes a blog post every day. Every single day he writes new content. It's fresh, it's original, it's pretty unique. It's very small, it's very low quantity. It's often on under 200 words, even 100 words. But it's every single day. So I, sent, I actually sent him, optimistically, I sent him an email telling him I was going to be speaking here. And to my amazement, he replied. He obviously, obviously did remember that moment with some fondness. Um, so I asked him a few questions. One of them I said, if, if the main reason we write content sh is to share expertise, should it be long content or short content? And his response was, it is a bit Yoda-like, write only as long as you need to, but no longer. <laughs> but actually, the more I thought about that, the more I started thinking, ooh, I'll get it tattooed down my arm or something. I also asked him, do you struggle to come up with ideas? And he said, the struggle is in helping them thrive and grow without letting fear or fatigue choke them. He also came out with the most profound statement that I've ever come across about Google. But we'll come on to that in a moment. So we've had the mental masturbation easy model, the Seth Godin model. Third option is what I call the Joanna Weeb model. Joanna, as I said, spoke here last year from Copy Hackers. Told her speaking, she agreed to share some facts and figures. So we spoke about one of her blog posts. And she told me that there's a blog post that she spent 180 hours on researching and writing, 180 hours. 12,000 words and a 59-minute read. You have to admire anyone who says a 59-minute read and not <laughs> an hour. So pretty spectacular, right? 180 hours. So the obvious follow-up question is, well, was it worth it? And it absolutely was, because at the time that we shared this email a couple of months ago or so, she said it had been shared more than 4,700 times, had more than 130 comments on her page. It ranks first for the phrase copywriting formulas. Thank you very much. And it gets several thousand paid views a month. So the next obvious question to me is, what about all the other blog posts that aren't quite so popular? So this was an amazing figure. She said, I've spent what may add up to a year's worth of time writing posts that few will ever see or care about. A year's worth of time writing this content that basically hasn't worked. But the body of work we're building here is bigger than the individual posts. How many people here feel like you're building a body of work as opposed to writing stuff? I know I don't. So there, there are three options. Option one, the low quality. Option two is the Seth Godin. Option three is the Joanna Weed model. So you've got choices. Even There are others, obviously. The easiest one by far and the most tempting because it's the easiest is option one, right? Because easy is always tempting. It's a bad habit. And bad habits are very easy to acquire. We all know that, and they're really hard to, to break. But I genuinely believe that most people in this room, we're, we're not like most people, for better or worse. But we're better than most people. Because if all we're going to do is trawl the internet and basically take other people's ideas and regurgitate them, which is kind of what quite a lot of people do quite often, if that's the best we can do, it's like, it's like a twisted form of cuckoo's egg. 
No, cuckoos lay their eggs in another bird's nest if they can't even kick the other eggs out. If not, they'll just leave it there. And then the other birds sit on, protect the birds, uh, protect the eggs, and even raise the chicks. You'd think they'd notice that one of them's a little bit different, right? So, I don't know, maybe it's color blindness or something. But the implications of this are huge because what sometimes happens, you get these small birds with these huge offspring, and they literally die trying to feed them. And you know, from their point of view, they're saying, eh, he's big boned, he's a big <laughs> But these, these are the consequences of handling the issues of other people. If you decide after this talk, because I will have filled you with so much inspiration, you decide that's it, I'm done with software. I'm done with the online. I'm going to open a food place, a restaurant. I would hope that you're not going to just try to knock off McDonald's, right? Because that's regurgitated on a whole new level. So the, the easiest way by far to make a decision is toss a coin, as far as I know. I think it's the easiest. But hard is good, and easy doesn't always mean best. The, the really difficult things in life tend to be good, whether it's creativity, exercise, growth, develop, development, uh, having raising a family. Hard is good. We need to stop taking these hacks. We need to start looking for the hacks in everything. Imagine you, you have some sort of medical issue, so you go to see a doctor. And while you're waiting in his room, you see a certificate saying, pass my learn to be a doctor in seven day course in March 2005. You're not going to stay around there, right? I hope. Mind you, healthcare issues here, but. We need to stop defaulting to shortcuts. So, so while, while I was actually preparing this presentation, it took on a life of its own. It became more or less organic. And it grew, these new fresh ideas grew. And I had this moment where I suddenly thought, hang on, we, we send, we're doing what I'm talking about here. We send an email newsletter every week, every Tuesday morning UK time. And I had this moment of clarity, and I thought, why are we doing this every week? So we decided as a very first step, we were going to switch to sending it every two weeks instead. So guess what happened? It was easier to write, because it's easier to come out with an original, interesting idea every 14 days than every seven days. Shame it took me 46 years to figure that out. We got better feedback, we got more engagement, less people unsubscribed. But that's what happens when you create clean content, really, really good content that's so good that it actually should be shared. It should be released, it should be set free. Because the alternative is only sharing other people's ideas and that's what we do so often. One person writes a really interesting blog post, 100 people read it. Each of those hundred all decide to write their own blog post about it, but they don't credit the original. They pass it off as their idea. And then each of those hundred do the same thing. A hundred people read it, pass it off as their own, and the content gets diluted and diluted and diluted to essentially a homeopathic level. But the actual, the originality, the creativity, the, the spark that was then the first one, it's completely gone. Someone, one of the speakers touched on the snowflake thing earlier, I can't remember who. But I, I really, really don't like this idea. It's become cool to, for some reason, say, you are not unique, you are not a unique snowflake, but actually you are. Every single person, every single one of us in this room experiences the world slightly differently from everyone else. <laughs> Trust me, I do. Every single one of us sees things differently. Every single person in your team, no matter what they do, they've got their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own experiences, their own theories. All we need to do is tap into it. No one experiences the world quite like anyone else. But you can't fake it. 
You know that's not a picture of my children, right? It's clearly it's a stock image. They're not arguing. <laughs> He's got more popcorn than me. Does anyone have shells in their house that look like that one book and a stupid plastic plant? It doesn't exist. The real thing, you spot the real thing. When you see it, you know it is the real thing. So here's a solution. Here's a solution that I'm proposing. It starts with releasing good quality content. If you use a content calendar, and I really hope you don't use a calendar, if you do, kill it. Because there's no better way, in my opinion, than killing your, your reputation, than stifling your creativity. You, you corner yourself with these stupid self-imposed deadlines into this place where you can't possibly produce good quality content. I'm not saying don't go to Google to, to research your ideas, but I'm saying have your ideas, go to Google. Go to Google to prove or disprove your ideas, to reinforce your ideas, to refute your ideas, but don't use it just for taking other people's ideas. And here's the quote that I promise you from Seth Godin. When I asked him as an SEO, have to ask, do you care about SEO or do you trust Google to figure it out for you? And his answer was neither. Google is not only a miracle, it's a pox, a black stain on our culture's ability to go for the edges. Go Google. But I take it one step further, it's not Google that's the issue, it's how we're actually using it. Last year's talk by Pelby, can't see anyone, I hear this, I hear this winds of discomfort though. Last year's talk by Peldy, I thought, I've seen Peldy speak many times, and I thought this was by far, in every sense, his best presentation that I've ever seen. He was in this room, and probably a fair number of people, you've either seen it online or you are here, he had us riveted, right? He held us in the palm of his hand, it was engaging. It was an amazing story, it was heartfelt, and we could feel the enormity of his decision, the terror, the angst, the weight of it. It was phenomenal. But when you share these ideas that are that interesting, when you share content that's so interesting, stories have to be shared because they should be shared, not because they should be written. What happens next is quite predictable. You don't need a link strategy. You don't need to worry about links because the links will actually happen because people will want to link to your great content. That, di that dialogue that we saw about the Buffer blog, people can actually start to have conversations like that when your content really genuinely is that good. The whole amplification, I'm not saying don't do it, but I'll tell you one thing. If you want to tap into other people's desire to retweet other people's content, because we all do, it's really easy, it's a whole lot easier when the content you're sharing is really exceptionally high quality from the beginning. Bob saw, and some people in this room I know, without a doubt, they saw how devastating Panda can be. And we saw how uh, devastating Penguin can be. I love that picture. I don't know what the next algorithm, I don't know what the next penalty is going to be called. It's probably going to start with a P, safe data point of two, therefore. It's probably P, like I don't, panda, uh, we've had panda, penguin, python, polar bear, papaya, pork chop, lethal, and not cooked properly. Um, but it's going to happen, it's definitely going to happen because Google still have the same problem of very poor quality results showing up in the searches, we've all seen them. So if you start with this starting point when you're planning content, when you're writing the content, you're creating the content, if you start with asking yourself the question, 
does this actually, does it actually provide real value? Is this content going to be so good that it should show up high when people search for it because it deserves to show up high when people search for it? And think about the signals. We've all written a blog post or an email at some point, right? We've all had this experience if you look and go, we've not written a blog post in two months. You hammer one out really quickly. You say it's better, better than nothing. We've all been there, right? But what you push out there is this poor quality, mediocre content. And if that's the first time that I come into contact with your company, I'm going to assume that this is a poor quality, mediocre company. These are very real signals. We're not writing content for the sake of writing them. We're writing content because it has to be shared. It has to be written. So remember Bob's reservation, moderate strategies produce moderate gains. I'm not proposing moderation. <laughs> I'm an SEO, we don't do that. I'm not proposing moderation. I've got another formula, and this is my formula for high quality content. You don't have to write it down. Insight plus value equals quality. Pretty simple, right? But you should have insight. We all have insight in whatever we do because we're good at it. We should be able to deliver value. If you create content that provides the insight, provides the value, you deliver the quality. But quantity doesn't, come e doesn't even come into it. Remember that whole thing, all this has happened before and all this happened again? We all know there's a new bubble, another bubble forming, right? We all thought it would have burst a long time ago. And we all know of companies that rely on really hideously low quality content to sustain their business. And it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. So if you know me, some of you know me, we've got to address the issue of metrics and data, right? Because we're clever and that's how we do things. And I am genuinely quite data driven. Um, so if you know me, you might be surprised by my stance on this because I think there's a time and a place for everything, including data, but sometimes common sense is actually more important. So you know when you're at that point in your life when you know you're getting serious, this relationship really has become something very big, very significant, and we've all had, or hopefully will have, uh, that moment where you think, should I do this, should I take this next step? When you're at that point in your life, that's not the time to open a spreadsheet. <laughs> it really isn't. Common sense sometimes is a lot more important than actual data. So what I'm proposing, pun intended, not really, popped out. What I'm proposing is to step away from what we're doing, step away from this arms race, because all we're doing is quantity. Your comp competition do a blog post every month. So you do it every three weeks. They do it every week. You do twice a week. They do three times a week. Where, where does it stop? This is a horrible, unhealthy arms race. Will it be hourly blog posts every 15 minutes? It's like running on a treadmill. Yeah, it gets a heart going, but ultimately you turn the treadmill off and you're right back where you started from the beginning. So Bob's, Bob's desire to ride waves it had, as we, see, as we saw, some very real risks. If you're lucky when you ride a wave like that, if you're really lucky, you'll walk away bruised. If you're unlucky, the consequences can be a whole lot more severe, as they were for Bob. And if you compare that, if you contrast that, instead of riding these enormous waves, but sailing straight, still in the water, still relatively sunny, but sailing straight, avoiding the big waves, and going exactly where you wanted to be going. 
right from the beginning, I know which one I'd, I would choose. And I know it's not easy. It's, it's very easy for me to stand here at the front and say, just, just stop making rubbish content. This is what I propose. Take the Joanna Wee model, whatever. But at the very least, I, I would really urge you to, at very least, next time you're planning or actually working on your next piece of content, to just pause for a moment and think, what would actually be needed to turn this from a mediocre piece of content into a great piece of content? And there's a good rule of thumb. There's a really good rule of thumb. Read the last 10, 15, 20 blog posts that you've written. If they make you wince, it's not good. If, on the other hand, you read your last 10, 15, 20 blog posts and you feel this genuine pride, oh, I did this, that's probably a pretty good sign. So final quote from Seth Godin. He released the most stupidly oversized book I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if anyone's seen it. You're about to. And I found a really good quote in there. Um, this isn't photoshopped. That is the size of the book. Don't bother engaging with customers unless you're prepared to invest enough to exceed expectations and delight them. Don't bother engaging unless you're prepared to exceed and delight. And it's better to do nothing at all. If marketing is your bag, head over to businessofsoftware.org and find out more about our online conference day on the 13th of July that will be tackling some of those tedious marketing issues and helping you see the wood for the trees. Find out more and register now at businessofsoftware.org. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.